0: Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back with me to Hebrews chapter thirteen. I thought that I could finish Hebrews thirteen today, but as the week wore on, finish this book. uh, It just it grew uh, ever more clear to me that it would be impossible. I had four and a half pages of notes, and I thought I just I can't do it justice. So. I've broken this last lesson up into two parts. So, Lord willing, we, since we won't have Sunday Bible class next Sunday, we'll just have one service next Sunday at ten thirty, and then we'll take the Lord's table. Lord willing, we'll finish up Hebrews, uh, the book of the study on Hebrews, two weeks from now. So, I uh, pray the Lord will uh, bless uh, what we've 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 studied together. I pray that uh, if if any of it uh, uh, you need some clarity on any of it. That you'll go back and you'll listen to the messages again. Uh, if you have any questions about anything that I've said through this nearly three and a half year study, uh, don't hesitate to contact me. I, I, I hope and I pray that that everybody uh, realizes that that I, I I do I I cherish your input. I do, and uh, I value your input. You know, I'm not a standalone. Uh, theologian, uh, that if I say it, that settles it. Now, that's just, there, there's some things that are settled no matter what. How we're justified, how we're redeemed, how we're sanctified, how we're sure and certain for heaven. Yeah, those things aren't open for debate. And so don't, if that's your question, if you think, well, is there any way that we can lose uh, our salvation? You might want to come talk to me, but don't expect to get a compromising answer on something like that. But some of these things that we talk about, you know, there, there are various interpretations and ideas uh, that, that we're open to, to discuss, now, not to debate and argue, but to discuss these issues. But I, I do hope that uh, this has been of some value to you. I, I've told you this in the past, and it, and it seems truer with each passing year as I grow older uh, in the gospel that when I go back over something and I hope my I pray I live long enough that we can go back through Hebrews another time. You know, we probably will. But every time that I've gone through it, somebody asked me uh, when I was going to go through Revelations. Well, don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> if you want to hear somebody go through Revelations, Bill's going through Revelations now. I know Norm Wells has got a series on Revelations, but Rich ain't going to tackle that for a while. I might at some point in my life. But I hope and I pray that I live long enough to get to go back and study the book of Hebrews again. And, you, you know, you ought to make these things, me, me and you both. The scriptures are written for our encouragement, right? The promises of God are Where? They're in here. He even tells us, Paul told those at Corinth that the, the promises, all the promises of God are in Christ, yea, and in Him, amen. So if you want encouragement, where do you get it from? Well, I went to church Sunday. That ain't enough. We're in a warfare, are we not? And if you don't realize the warfare you're in, you're not, you don't, you're not in it. That's just the truth. We are in, and we didn't enter into this this warfare until God by His grace revealed Himself to us and in us. We, were, we, we might have wrestled with morality or sincerity or faithfulness, but we knew nothing about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. We didn't understand what Paul meant when he said that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh so that I could not do the things that I would. We didn't realize that until all of a sudden we're in the battle. Well, I'm telling you, as a child of God, redeemed by the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way we can overcome is as, have, as we use these truths that he has graciously written down for us to encourage us and strengthen us and draw our minds off the things of time and sense and draw them to where? Christ. Period. I, I think about this all the time. I think of it two, two ways. I think of it, first of all, it should be the most important thing to me. But secondly, I think of it how miserably I fail. And really not how miserably I fail, but how miserably I sin against my God. Listen to this. Here's a promise from our God to you and me. Thou wilt keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee for he trusteth in him. Now that's a promise, isn't it? then why don't we keep our mind stayed on him? Now, I think the better question would be, how do we keep our mind stayed on him? Here's the sequel to that. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly implying, rightly interpreting the word of truth. We should be students of the word. And shame on us if we're not. All of us. We make time for the things that we care about. Do we not? We claim Christ is our all. Me too. And I'm not just... I'm not trying to... I know people say, Well, you you single me out. No, I'm I'm talking to me. I love my Lord. I love my God. I love God's people. I love the church. I love the gospel. I love... It. I've heard that so many times through 36 years of preaching the gospel, myself included making the same statements, and yet how much time do we spend in this book? We can find time for anything and everything but the most important thing, the only thing that is eternal. My life's not eternal, my physical life. These things are eternal truths, eternal blessedness through our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this, These last two lessons, I just I couldn't think of a title for them, so I, just, I, I call them what they are, the closing exhortations. This will be part one, and then, Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll deal with part two. And I want to begin with this. Everything that the writer of the book of Hebrews has written down, he's written it to who? Who's this book written to? Now, the lost benefit, if the Lord is pleased to use his word to call them to true faith and true repentance. But these epistles, who were they written to? To justified saints. To those who professed to rest in Christ is the Lord their right. Now, some of them did, some of them didn't. We know that from the book of Hebrews. There were many to whom this letter was written who had made a good profession, but now what's happened to them? They've let it slide on by. Look around yourself. Think about our beginnings. Think about how many started with us. Think about how many have come and have gone through the years. Where have they gone? See, that's the question. Where are they at now? What's happened to them? What's the value to them? I tell you, it amazes me that, that people are so ignorant in an electronic generation that they don't know that we know and everybody knows, everything you do. People post everything to Facebook. You know where they're at. You know what they've seen. You know who their friends are. You know what they value. And it's like either they don't know or they don't care. Please, I, I'm, I'm encouraging you as a child of God, if, if you, you are representative and you have identified with Grace Baptist Church in Ruston, Louisiana, do not post things on your Facebook page that will be a poor reflection on the gospel that we preach and believe here and hold, hold of great value to us. I'm not saying you're lost because you do it, but listen, our responsibility is to make certain that men and women know and understand there's one thing that comes out of this place. It's the gospel of God's free grace. And natural, unregenerate sinners, many of your friends out there, they see those things that are really not they're, they're, they're not sinful in and of themselves. But because their minds are in an unregenerate state, how do they interpret it? See, that's the thing. They see those things that we do that are really in themselves not sinful, not evil, not vile. But they look at it, and what's their thought process on it? They think, well, they believe that you can do anything. You know, you can live however you want to. But we don't believe that. We've never preached that at Grace Baptist Church. And nobody believes the gospel believes or thinks that. How are we to live? Huh? We're bought with a price, are we not? What was the price of your redemption? What set you or I free from the law of sin and death? What gave us this liberty and freedom that we have? This gospel that we preach. I can't help it if lost men misinterpret the grace of our God, but we don't want to give any an occasion to stumble. We certainly don't want a brother or sister in Christ to stumble over our inaccuracies in the way that we portray this life of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But everything that this writer wrote for these believers, these justified saints, what was it designed for? Why did he write it down? He designed it because of what we talked about the last couple of weeks. His goal, his purpose, the Holy Spirit's purpose is what? That their hearts, not this one, their souls might be established one way with grace. Grace. He said, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing, it's a good thing, that the heart be established with grace. Now, I know people think, religious people think, you don't want men and women too sure about this thing of eternal life. You don't want them to, to be certain that they have eternal life. Well, listen to you. In 1 John chapter 5, John writes these words. He says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Now whose witness are you going to believe? When I think about the witness of God, you know what I think about? I always think about when we went through in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says this, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Who testified to him that he was righteous? The Holy Spirit testified to his spirit that he was righteous. God Almighty testified, any man be in Christ new creature, new creature in one sense, made the righteousness of God in him. Now listen, he says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. That includes our own witness. Because most of the time, our own witness, what do we do to ourselves because of our remaining sinfulness, the way we failed our God in our love to him and our love to our neighbor and our love to our enemy and our uh, obedience to him in every area of our lives? What do we do? We witness against ourselves, do we not? And he says, he's greater than that witness. Aren't you grateful for that? For this is the witness of God, which he has what's he testify of? Well, Richard's a good guy. No, he's testified of his son. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness. Now listen to this, hath the witness where? In himself. Not out there, it's in here. He that believeth not the son, what? may God a liar, because he, here's the error, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record that God had given us eternal life, and this life is where it's in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God. Hath not life. Oh, you can't be sure. These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. And that you might continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. What things did he write that you might know? This is the record that God hath given us eternal life. Well, I, I. What about my character and my conduct? Well, you should seek to bring your character and conduct into conformity to Christ. But let me ask you: If you could get some semblance of your character and conduct conformed to what you thought was Christ's character and conduct, does that make you more holy? Does that make you nearer the throne of grace? Does that make God more? How well pleased can God be with you? Much more well pleased can God be with you than what He is with you as you're found in the Son. Do you see the futility of it? My God, try I'd try your best to honor Him. But when you've done your best, what are you supposed to say? We are unprofitable servants. We've only done that which is our duty. How can you look to something that is the duty and think that that should give you some leg up with God? Our Lord in his high priestly prayer said this, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast seen. So this entire epistle was written to show them And to show you and me the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ in his mediatorial glory as God-man mediator is the one who merited for us by his his birth, by his life, by his obedience, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension as our substitute mediator and representative, he secured for us what? First of all, the most important thing, our justification he made us the righteousness of God in himself. He secured for us our sanctification. And thank God, you know what else he secured for us? He secured for us our eternal glory that we'll be with him one day. And here's the thing. We don't need anything else. <laughs> what, what, and not only do we not only need We don't need anything else. You know what? We are commanded by our God to forsake and denounce everything else but what? The righteousness of Christ is the ground, hope, and cause of our salvation. And I'll tell you this much. One thing we've seen through the book of Hebrews, any who seek to add anything, be it ever so small, To Christ and His righteousness as a sinner's only ground, hope, or cause of salvation. You know what that suggests? What that says? It suggests that there's some insufficiency in what Christ did. That there's some sufficiency, insufficiency in His righteousness. Did He not say? Think not that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. What did I come to do? To fulfill it. Why? To equip himself or qualify himself as a fit sacrifice? No. He was a fit sacrifice before he ever obeyed the law. The fitness of his sacrifice was who he was. Who was that? before he first began as God-man to obey the law, what was he? He was Emmanuel, God with us. The same in eternal glory with the Father and the Spirit and one with him. So why did he obey that law? Why did he say, I didn't, don't think I came to, to destroy to, to, it, I, I set it aside. What did he come to do? He said, I come to... Fulfill it. Not for myself. What did he do it for? For those whom he represented. And he sealed it, that obedience, he sealed it with his blood. His obedience, under it required the entirety of Christ's person and work, all of it. And if he had failed in any part, from his incarnation to his death, it would have been of no value to us required all of it. If it didn't, God could have just killed him when he was a baby and been satisfied. But that's you're saying, if it rests on something that I do or something that I'm unable to do, it's saying Christ did not actually do what he said he did. Now, you know, that, that's to deny God's grace. And that's to deny his righteousness. You think about it. You and I, we've been blessed by God's grace in Christ. We were guilty by nature. We were defiled, and tragically, we see our defilement, yet still, do we not? Undeserving of the least of God's favor, the least of his blessings. Did you used to think that? When you were in false religion and you were doing your dead level best to avoid every known sin and doing your dead level best to do every possible good, what did you think of yourself? (laughs) If you're honest. I've told you this through the years and I'll continue to say, I thought I had a leg up on everybody because I was a preacher. And the thing of it was, people encouraged me in that because people, when they found out you was a preacher, even a false one, they didn't know you was a false one because we all believed the same thing. They treated you different. Why? Because by nature, I've had so many people, I've made statements before about certain men and them being false preachers, and they said, be careful, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. No, I can't do that. Child of God can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. I reprove him because we believe a different gospel. ran into a young man this week. I was talking with him in, in my front yard, actually, and uh, he goes over here to the big church, the bridge over. Here. and uh, I asked him if he knew somebody and that I knew that I used to eat lunch with for years and years ago. And he said, oh, yeah, I know him. He said, he's a big five-point Calvinist. I said, yeah, he was. We used to talk about the five-points of Calvinism. He said, always wants to talk about Tula. I said, he said, yeah, I said he did. But this guy that, this guy that I'm telling you, tell you, go to their website. Just don't, don't take my word for it. Go to their website and look at what they believe. You know they have a group over there that's five-point Calvinist? It's a five-point Calvinist group. But the the key kicker at the end of it is we have these people, this study group for the five points of Calvinism, but we, we agree to disagree with our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't refuse to believe this. And I told him when he found out that I was a preacher... And I, he found out I knew this guy. He said, well, he told me one time there's a sovereign grace church here in Ruston. I said, where are it. I said, we're pure sovereign grace. We're not five-point Calvinists. I said, we're pure sovereign grace. And he looked at me with this look kind of like, what's the difference? You know? This is not a little doctrinal difference. Even though I believe the five points of Calvinism are correct, and they're true, I am not a five-point Calvinist. You hear me? I believe God's gospel. Now, that might be a skeleton on which God's gospel might be built around, but those things in and of themselves, knowing those five points, did me no good. Did me no more good than what it's doing that group over there. People said, don't say that. I, cannot, I, I can say that because I lived it. I experienced, I know what it did to me. I know how self-righteous it made me. Because it wasn't about a person, it was about a doctrine, a specific doctrine. And when people didn't live up to it, you know, I, I thought that they were number one either. They, they might possibly could be lost, but they would not lost because they didn't believe the five points. They were lost because their character and conduct didn't measure up. But it it were, at it, it best, I thought every one of them, y'all are babies compared to me because I got this big, you know, like when, you know big old monster heads of doctrinal truth. You know, I thought, boy, I'm something special. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous how we, I tell you, the darkness, if the darkness is in you, is if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's It's bad. But knowing that, see, being delivered from that and set free from that law of sin and death and all those things that I thought was so important, you know what I ought to do? Out of grace and gratitude to him who set, he could have left me in that. I could have been over there leading that study group. Because I guarantee you they're looking for somebody knows know something to lead it. He could have left me in that, Kenny. He could have left us back up at Heiko if it had been his will. Never brought us out. It just let us we, we were happy. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was absolutely happy until I found out people weren't happy with me. And then I was unhappy. And I wasn't unhappy because it was over the gospel, you know, at the beginning of this thing. I was unhappy because they didn't, I, you know, I, I remember telling Henry, you know, when he told me, these people are going to ask you to go. And I'm like, these people love me. And he said, I'm telling you, two weeks, they're going to ask you to hit the road. And I was like, no. And I found out that, that they didn't like me, but it wasn't that they didn't like me as a person because they, they, they made it clear, we want you to go because of what that guy preached and what you, you're trying to preach because the implications are so staggering. What about my mama? What about my daddy? What about my grandma? What about my grandpa? What about my brothers? What about my children? What about Christ? See? We place so much value on these things of flesh and blood. When if any of us were redeemed, what did it take? It took him. So we should be concerned about him, right? Right? You think about this, realizing that what we are and what we have by virtue of Christ, we ought to spend our lives in thanksgiving. You ought to thank God Almighty through Christ Jesus, your Lord, that he set you free. We ought to spend all our lives seeking to worship him in spirit, rejoicing in Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in the flesh. And all our service and all our dedication, all our obedience, it can only be done from this spirit and attitude, that we're already saved. We already possess all grace here and all glory here before we do anything. Now notice what he says. Here's the exhortation of grace. By him. By him who? Through Christ. By his obedience unto death. Therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God How often on Sunday morning in Sunday Bible class and Sunday worship? No, 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 no. What does it say? Offer to him the sacrifice of praise continually. Well, we come back to that old adage. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. What is it? huh See how far short we fall even in this aspect? We are to offer to God continually the sacrifice of praise every moment of our lives. That is, and he tells us what this sacrifice of praise is. And I, this is, this is it amazes me the way, what I learned this week going back through this passage. What is this sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips given thanks to his name. What do we give that? To his name. Now, this is important. You think about it. We are to offer the sacrifice of praise to continually, to to God continually, which gives us freedom from appointed times, appointed seasons, and appointed places. What does that mean? That means we can offer praise to God if we're riding down the road in our vehicle. We're sitting on our couch at home. We're out in the woods on a deer stand. We're out on the lake in a fishing boat. Whatever we're doing, what can we do? We can offer the sacrifice of praise to his name. Now, the nature of this sacrifice, he says, it's it's praise. It's not legal. It's not constraint that if I don't do it, what's he going to do? He's going to cut me off or damn me or take away my rewards in heaven. It's in terror that he's asking. We're not trembling, scared to death, approaching him, hoping against all hope that maybe he'll accept us. Maybe he'll take our sacrifice. But it's a praise that's specific. You know what, you know what this, this praise consists of? And this is what gets me, he tells us what it is in this last phrase. of this. It has to do with confessing his name. Acknowledging that he is glorified in our salvation, my salvation, as a just God and a savior. He's not just, he didn't just let me slide in. He was just in justifying me. He did it in a way that satisfies every attribute of his character, Kenny. Every one of them. He made me accept it in the blood. And that's, that's what this thing, this last phrase, you know what that word giving thanks literally translated is? It means confessing his name. That's what that's, You'd never get there from giving thanks, but that, look it up for yourself. It's one word in the original, and it means confessing to his name. That's the literal translation. Which is what? It's an outward, we confess his name because what? You can't shut us up. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ when He rode into Jericho? And the people were shout, shouting Hosanna and uh, that, that the Son of God had come and the, the Jews told Him, you need to stop this, what'd He say? He said, if you could shut these up, what's going to cry? The rocks themselves are crying. That, 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 remember, remember that boy that been blind from his birth in John 11? They go, you know, they go to his mom and dad and say, you know, they, where, how'd he get healed? And they said they scared to death because they knew that there'd been a saying, if anybody said to him, what happens to you? See, there's consequences. You confess that he's the Christ, you're out of the synagogue. They knew it. So what did they say? To defend themselves from getting kicked out of where they lived, they said, he's of age, go ask him. So they'll go get him again the second time, because they've already asked him how it happened, he told them. They go to him the second time. And they say, Who gave you your sight? What was his response to? Him? He said, I've told you already. And then he got him with this one. Will you be his disciples also? What was their response to that? You're his disciple. Or we're whose disciple? We're Moses' disciples. And Christ Christ tells him in John 8, they ain't Abraham's children and they ain't Moses' disciples either. Because he told them, if you believed Moses, what would you do? You'd believe me. Because Moses wrote to me, talked about me, worshipped me, bowed to me, loved me, knew me, trusted in me. Moses didn't trust the law. He trusted in one the law pointed him to, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the same word Paul used. Here it is, that if thou shalt confess, everybody's done that in false religion, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That word, thou shalt confess, is the same word that's used here, giving thanks. The Apostle John used the same word. He said, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he dwells in God. What is it? Confesses that? night. I, think I, I don't know if it's in my these notes, but I know it's in my Sunday Bible class. He said, there's a name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. What is it? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of praise in has to do with confessing Christ before men. and His righteousness is my only hope and cause of salvation. It has to do, you know, this, this, to confess Christ is to take up his cross. Your friends out there in the world, they'll accept you as long as you let them think that you are in agreement with them, that their morality and sincerity and their religious efforts and their religious zeal makes a difference between life or death. But when you won't step across on that side of the rope with them, and you tell them righteousness is found one place, always has been, in Christ, by his obedience unto death, without any consideration or contribution. you have got to make that clear now. This is what gets them. I don't care if it's you if it's your brother. Make this clear to them. Salvation is in, through, and by Christ, imputed righteousness alone without any consideration of or contribution on the sinner's part in any way, to any degree, at any time. And you see how that works out for you. See if they're your friend. See if they're your brother or your sister or your mom, or your daddy. Because I tell you what, they, they turn their back on these folks. And it wasn't over character and conduct. It was over the sacrifice of praise that continually came out of their mouth. What could you do? You couldn't shut them up talking about Christ's blood. That woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, after our Lord showed grace and mercy to her, what did she do? Well, I'll take this little thing and fold it up inside of a napkin and put it in my pocket and just be grateful. Know what she do. She left her water pot. That she'd gone out there in the heat of the day to get water. She left the water pot, went into the city, and told and told the men. And that's that's interesting, told the men. Hold on now, wait. She was out there at that why was she out there in the heat of the day? The hottest part. You mean, you think about it in Israel at the heat of the day at high noon, 110. They're talking about right now, where uh, Death Valley's fixing to hit 135 degrees. Kenny's been out around that place before I had everybody. I can't imagine 135 degrees. But out in the heat of the desert in Israel in a hot summer day at high noon, 110 to 120 degrees. And she's out there all by herself. She was the only one out there. Why is she out there? Hmm? Well, our Lord revealed why she was out there. Go get your husband. I don't got one. And he said, you've said well. The one that you're with now, the one that you're with. Listen to this now, kids. The one that you're with now, he's not your husband. And the one that you were with before, he's not your husband. Went through five of them. Not your husband. What was this woman doing? Sounded to me like she was pretty prolific. She was getting around. And when the Lord set her free, she goes in and she tells the men, Come see a man that told me everything that I have ever done. Is not this the Christ? Those men go out and they speak to him. And after they've heard his words, I guess the Lord was gracious to him them because what did they say? They, they said, when we heard your words, we didn't believe it. But when we heard him, we believe and are sure that this is the Christ of God. Envision uh-huh. that A woman of awful reputation. A witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord in turn takes her word to those who by nature would be angry at her because of what she has done. Yeah, you spilled the beans on me. You've told this, I'm going out to see a guy that told you everything that you did and I'm part of everything that you did? I wouldn't make you happy, would you? The Lord's drawing by his grace and by his glory. That's what's going outside the camp is. That's, listen, that's bearing the reproach of Christ. It's not the way I wear my hair. I don't know why I point it. I gotten, it's not, the, not the way I... You know, it's amazing how many people... I'm walking down that path and I pull my head off and some people look at me like I'm a white supremacist just because i got a bald head. <laughs> but I'm not. But we, we, we make it... We form our opinions based on wrong thoughts. On wrong things. It's not the way we wear our hair. It's not the way we dress. It's it's not that we don't go to picture show or we don't drink a beer. Or we don't smoke a cigarette. You know, don't drink a glass of wine. It's the sacrifice of our mouth. Who's our hope? And I tell you this much. We praise God continually when we understand. And the only way we understand is what has he got to do. He's got to give me understanding. How do I know that? Listen to you. I'm running out of time. Heck, I ain't even going to get through the notes of God, I don't think. Listen to you. I, I, I've always loved this. Our Lord was out there, and he had already told these men, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up to the last. They had told them, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw them draw him, and I'll raise him up to the last day. He told, told these men already, it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. And they get down there at the end, and he says, you know, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, those people were following him. He said to them, "Doth this offend you? What and if you see the Son of Man, is up where he was before? It's the spirit that quickens, the flesh profiteth Nothing. The words that I speak unto you... Now listen, the flesh profits nothing, so the flesh can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. That's what our Lord's telling them here. He said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you which believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said to them, Therefore said I unto you... He already said it twice, but he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Except it, it were given unto him of my Father. Verse 66 of John 6. From that time forward, when he told them the third time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's it. We're doing it. <laughs> You're telling us we can't do anything. Yeah, I made it clear. Salvation's of the Lord. So they go back. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, will you go away also? You know Peter speaks up for the crowd. What does he say? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But now listen to these next words. And we believe and are sure. What we believe we're sure how God had given them assurance that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Folks, that's true God-given faith. Not only do we believe, but what are we? We're certain. God, our God cannot lie to us. If he can, if he, if he can lie, he's not, worth, he's not worth worshiping. He's not a God at all. I mean, think about it. It is the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great faithfulness. God can't lie. Look at verse 16. We'll quit. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices is God well pleased. If you go back and look at verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, he shows us a substance. Of our duty toward fellow believers, that we're to—I mean, you think about the way that he stated back over in verses one through three. He said, "Let brotherly love continue." We're to love the brethren, to be careful for our brethren, to always have our brethren's needs in the forefront of our mind. Listen, for a child of God, it is our responsibility to think of our brother before we think of ourselves. Can we agree on that? That's just—but the thing of it, do we? (laughs) Well, we're an awful mess, aren't we? (laughs) Verse 15 that we just looked at, we have the very heart of true worship, true holiness. What is it? The only way I'm holy, the only way I'm accepted, the only way I can worship God, what have I got to do? I've got to rest in Him. I've got to live. Before I can worship God acceptably, I have to be righteous. If I'm, not, if I'm not righteous, everything I do is unrighteous. Everything I do is unacceptable. But now, in these verses, what does he tell us to do? He gives us our duty toward our neighbors, but not just any neighbor, even our enemies. Think about that. He writes basically. He writes here. Don't forget to do that which is good and profitable toward who? Everybody, every man. We ought to be useful and helpful to all men in both spiritual and temporal ways. If you saw somebody hungry today, what would you do? I mean, I, or they were out? You saw somebody we got got done, and there was somebody outside. You know, the clothes tattered and torn. Had nothing. Had a, nothing. Can we? Can we just walk away from that? Be mean spirited and unkind? I know there's hooksters out there, but we're, not, we're. You know, it's not our responsibility to, to, try to determine that. It's, you know, we're to be compassionate. Are we not? Our Lord would have been, and we should be too. And he says communicate. He said to do good and to communicate. That word communicate, you know what it mean? It means share. What do you have that you didn't receive? You've been blessed financially. Where did it come from? Well, I worked hard and got my degree. and Me and my husband, we were, yeah, well, we. Who gives you the ability to gain wealth? I tell, we're, uh, every one of us, our heart beat away from the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Got my statement in from Edward Jones, and I looked at it, and it grew significantly the last two months. I was like, woohoo! And then I thought, ooh. Because <laughs> as soon as it grows, you know what God can do? It ain't mine. He could wipe out everything that I have. I, see, that's the key. Everything I have done the last 40 nearly 40 almost 44 years of my married life my wife if he wants it it's his and he can take it and he might do it i'm not saying that he won't but i i I tell you i live with that present awareness in my mind and i try not to keep my mind on well i've set myself up from retirement well go ahead and set yourself up for retirement but trust the god who's got everything controlled over your retirement That's that's the key. That's our comfort. Because if it all goes away, what are you going to do? Are you going to quit the gospel? He took everything away from me. Well, if you quit the gospel of it, which was most important? You see that? And, And the apostle reminds us, he says, to forget not, because we're so prone to neglect to share our worldly possessions with those that are outside. The only ones we look out for is who? Our own social service. Our own friends, our own family. And you think about it, this this called, it's called a sacrifice. It's not this is not a propitiation. This sacrifice that we give and willing to, to not forget to do good and share with others. It's not, it makes me more important or gives me more, puts me favorable in God's eye. That this parting with our worldly sac- substance, it's a sacrifice. It costs something. Not in comparison with what God's freely given us, nor because there's any merit in our sacrificing it. Because here's the thing, a justified sinner expects no blessing from God, and they know that they deserve no blessing from God based on anything other than the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Start to finish. But this sacrifice that he's talking about, we'll quit with this, is done by a justified sinner. It's one of praise and love from a spirit of adoption, God's grace, based on the absolute certainty of their salvation, conditioned on Christ Jesus their Lord. And you know what? As a priest and a king made one by God, it's well-pleasing in God's sight. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, go read Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 40. And it's a judgment. Remember, he, he says, you know, they said, When saw we thee hungry? Didn't feed you, thirsty, didn't give you drink, or naked, didn't clothe you, in prison, didn't come visit you. And he said, When you didn't do it to my brethren. That was as an unbeliever. And then the believers, the ones that's on the right hand, they said, They, they asked the same question, but it's a different inflection. They say, When? That, you know, the other said, when did we not do these things? They said, when did we do it? When did we feed thee? He said, you do it, did it on one of the least of these, my brethren. What did you do? You did it to me. We ought to look at one another because it's not you that I like or you that like me because of who I am. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the tie that binds. We'll stop right there and we'll come back, pick up, finish this book Sunday two weeks. You're dismissed, the worst part. Amen. Mm-hmm.